Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post. And very late on a Sunday night, I am joined by my good friend, Jared Dubin, uh, czar of hardwood paroxysm, among many other places. Jared, how's it going? Not too bad, man. I'm uh, I'm happy I wound up staying up for this because uh, this is my second time, so I'm very honored. Well, you'll be you'll be on again regardless. But uh, it's it's funny that you're on today. Um, the reason the podcast is so late is I had a bit of a long travel day from our shared home city of New York to uh, I, idyllic uh, Allegheny, New York, where I am right now, across the street from my alma mater, St. Bonaventure University. Um, I, I had a long travel day because it is currently snowing. Uh, like crazy in western New York State, they're they're getting eight inches of snow uh, just south of Buffalo, between uh, where I'm at now, which is right on the border of Pennsylvania and Buffalo, New York, which I drove through to get here. Uh, meanwhile, Jared uh, very smartly went to the University of Miami in Coral Gables, Florida, and if he ever has to go to his school to talk about things like I'm going to do tomorrow at Bonaventure, he would not have to deal with snow in April. Um, like an insane person. So you, uh, you were far smarter than me in your college choice, my friend, in about every way possible. Well, that's definitely true. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I'll ever be invited to Miami to talk about things. They have far more interesting people that come talk about things. Like when I was there, we had Drew Rosenhaus come talk to us. That's uh, right. He's NFL a fellow agent. U grad, right? Yes. Um, and we also had uh, Billy Corbin, the director. Who did, um, the, who did the two who thirty did, for thirties on my on Miami, which are both incredible. Uh, yeah, which were both great. Um, the first one obviously is the better one, though. Right, um, right. But the but, second one's still know, good. The second one is still good. The first one might be the best thirty for thirty they ever. It did. is really awesome. There, it's, there it's are a one bunch of the awesome top thirty for thirties, sure. but it was that was awesome. That was really really oh, yeah. cool. And. Um, that you know, it definitely will not snow if I if I am, <laughs> which in the unlikely event I'm ever invited to speak there, it will not snow. That wow. was uh, you know my my one qualification for going to school anywhere was that I had to have a zero percent chance of snow. Wow. Um, I was getting ready to go to Maryland at one point, and I visited, and it snowed while I was there. And even though the person I was visiting said it was the only time in four years that it snowed. Zero percent means zero percent. So I did not go there. <laughs> you have told me that was part of your qualification before, and it uh, it definitely worked out for you. So um, let, let's transition to a team that would probably be better off if it was stuck in a snowstorm at this point, which is the uh, the hometown New York Knicks, which just continue to embarrass themselves on every level. Uh, the latest thing being this just complete nonsense they're doing with Aaron Aflalo. Um, not that Aaron Aflalo is any great player. Well, let's just get that out of the way. He's fine. He's a, you know, probably slightly above league average or league average shooting guard at this point in his career. But the fact that the Knicks are benching him and not having him in the starting lineup and starting Sasha Vujicic, who should not be in the NBA and for was not in the NBA the last four years for a reason, um, basically just begging Aflalo to get angry enough at them to ensure that he opts out of the last year of his contract. Uh, on the list of things the Knicks have done the last few years, even though there's been a lot of dumb things, I still feel like this is pretty high, given that they're they're going into this summer hoping to try to sign people. And I've got to think that agents and players from around the league 
are looking at how they're treating a veteran player like a Flalo, and they have to be going, what are these guys doing, right? Yeah, that's an interesting angle, actually, that I somehow hadn't thought of. You know, I had been thinking of it from the perspective of, you know, if he opts out, it gives them an extra $8 million in cap space, which they'll obviously be happy about. The interesting thing is that, um, you know, since they made that switch, Vujicic somehow has actually been outplaying Aflalo, who's been pretty terrible since they made the switch. And, um, I mean, I think he would have opted out anyway, even if they hadn't benched him, because he was going to get more than, not necessarily more than $8 million a year, but more than $8 million total. And, you know, at, at that point, he'd be making more money and presumably over a longer period of years. So I don't think they really needed to antagonize him in order to get him to do, you know, what I assume they want him to do and opt out. I well, mean, that, tonight, that's the crazy part to me. I'm with you. Like, he was going to opt out. There's going to be a bazillion dollars this summer, like probably over, literally over a billion dollars in cap space this summer. If you can walk and chew gum in the NBA, you're going to opt out this summer just because you're going to make way more money just just by the fact that there's just too much to spend and teams have to get to the salary floor and even though they don't technically have to you know most of them are just going to spend the money because that's what teams do when they have money so it, it for them to be like actively antagonizing this guy and yeah he's been terrible since he got sent to the bench because i think he stopped caring and trying because he basically has just said yeah i checked out on this team and to me it's kind of hard to blame him because it's just yeah. it's open, it's obvious what they're doing, and then today Kurt Rambis tries to say that oh, it's going to help his value to be on the bench, yeah. which just is insane. I, I I just have given up with this team. Um, it, it the last, I they I I thought they had to fire Derek Fisher when they did. Uh, he got better as a coach, but the other stuff that had happened off the court with him. I put him in a situation where he was going to go the first time things started to go sour. That's what happens when you put yourself in the kind of spot that he did. But I mean, if there was any if there was any doubt from anybody that the 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 Kurt Rambis went thirty two and one hundred and thirty two with the Timberwolves a few years ago in his two seasons as coach was not emblematic of the way he can coach a team. Anybody who's paid attention to the Knicks for the last two months, including you, I'm sure, would agree that it's without a doubt this guy is just a terrible NBA coach at this point. Yeah, I think he is now the the most games under 500 uh, for any NBA coach in history. I'm pretty sure I saw that the other day uh, on Twitter. It, that may or may not be factually true, but I vaguely remember seeing somebody tweet it out. Um, he has not necessarily done much to help himself. Since becoming the coach, um, you know, a lot of people are concentrating on, on the, the stuff with Porzingis and having him play in the post more, not wanting him to shoot as many threes, cutting down his minutes. Um, but, but other things like playing Carmelo, you know, 40-ish minutes a game, Robin Lopez playing a lot more minutes as well, um, having to be asked by the veterans like Carmelo and Lopez and, and Jose Calderon to cut their minutes and to give them rest and to start playing the younger players who, you know, the Knicks should be trying to figure out if they have some sort of future with the team. Um, you know, Jaron Grant was playing like seven or eight minutes a game for a month or so when it was clear that the team wasn't making the playoffs. Um, this is a rookie they took with the 19th pick like nine months ago, and, and they know absolutely nothing about him uh, after after his rookie season, you know, even at the end of the year after the veterans came to Rambus and said, you know, you need to play these guys, 
I mean, what are these last six games really going to tell them? Nothing. Um, you know, it's it's meaningless minutes in a meaningless season. And the fact that he didn't give him time earlier, given the Knicks' point guard struggles throughout the season, um, is a little bit ridiculous. Um, you know, even even if you don't think he's that talented or, or not ready yet, I mean, you need to see where he is. And, you know, Rambis said a few times, like, oh, we have him sitting next to Jim Clemens on the bench. Uh, the Knicks assistant coach obviously was one of Phil Jackson's assistant coaches as well. And I know that Rambis thought that that was valuable, but he's also said multiple times, speaking about other players, that nothing is more valuable than learning on the court. But for some reason, that didn't apply to, to Jaron Grant. Um, and then he has even more fascination with Vujicic than Fisher did. Um, you know, t- tonight, for example, the Knicks played the Pacers. They were in a close game down the stretch, and Grant sits down the stretch so Sasha Vujicic can can shoot pull up threes out of pick and rolls. I mean, that just it's it's not even that he's trying to help himself by winning at the expense of younger players. There's the the last six games of this season aren't about Kurt Rambis. They're about figuring out what the Knicks have and, and and what kind of things can work. And he seems to have been using this final stretch of the season to audition to be the head coach rather than to help the future of the franchise. And amazingly, he's done worse at helping himself than he has at helping the future of the franchise. Yeah, he he's been a he's been a total disaster. But I don't want to get I don't want to get too far down the the Kurt Rambis is a disaster track. I mean, I, I'm the I wrote a couple weeks ago that if the Knicks don't if, if Phil Jackson tries to keep Kurt Rambis, which I, I think he might, then they Phil Jackson needs to or Phil Jackson, James Dolan needs to fire him and get rid of him and Rambis and just bring in new people because this is the first time this franchise actually has a coaching job that people should want for the first time maybe since Jeff Van Gundy left. Um, well, well that's the thing ago. though. Why would you want the Knicks job? You know, I mean, yes, Porzingis is there, but. I mean, there was there was a brief period of time this season when they weren't, you know, circus like. Well, you want you want the Knicks job because you have Porzingis, who looks like he has a chance to be an All Star big. You 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 still have Carmelo, which whether you're going to trade Carmelo or you keep him, he still is a guy that can score for you and, and still for at least a year or two is going to be a really good player. I think they should trade him, but at least you still have that asset. And look. From now forward, the Knicks have every draft pick, every first round pick that they have. So well, after this year, after, because right, of the, I, I right. mean, like after rights. So I'm saying, like, if you're a coach, you're coming in. Like, you're this season's over. So I'm I'm going like up to July first. So from July first forward, the Knicks have a ton of cap space this year. They have all their picks going forward, and they've got a young guy who could turn into a star. That's a way better position than this franchise has been really ever since Jeff Van Gundy took the job. Like even when he left the job, they still had, they had this kind of aging team, and you weren't quite sure where they were going to go. But uh, over the last fifteen years, it's just been one disaster after another, and and for this to be the time when they could actually hire somebody that's really good, and instead Phil might want to try to keep Kurt Rambis in the job, it's just it's unbelievable. But I, I want to get past that into um, you recently wrote an article about uh, for. Uh, I think for Bleacher Report, right? Uh, the the Porzingis one, right? Yes. Okay, so so Jared recently, you should go find it. He wrote an article about um, Chris S. Porzingis and things he can work on um, 
heading into his second season in areas of improvement. And, uh, you know, uh, I said back in August that um, this Knicks season was going to be determined by what the Knicks found out about Porzingis and what his development was. For me, this Knicks season was a huge success, irregardless of everything else that happened, because you found out that this guy looks like he has a chance to be a star, which is a huge thing for them. And the first time they've had a young guy like this in decades. So, but that being said, uh, there is stuff. Briefly, has- be- before you get to your question, sure, I want to say that that I agree with that. But to his credit, tonight before the game, he was asked about that, and he said that no, the season was not a success because their goal was to make the playoffs, and they didn't do that. Right. So, he, so even though it's definitely true that his individual season was a success, you can tell that he's someone that just gets, not necessarily even gets. Um, you know, gets quote unquote it, but gets what you're supposed to say in that situation that even though he had a successful season, the the team was not successful and that that's what people want to hear him say. Yeah, no, totally. And look, he's a great kid. I mean, he, he's got a good head on his shoulders. You could see that going all the way back to the draft, the way he handled getting booed on draft night ridiculously by the fans in Brooklyn um, when, when the Knicks fans didn't know who they were drafting and they were upset. I mean, he, he's, he's handled everything you could, you could ask for in the best manner possible throughout his career to this point. But with that being said, there is stuff that he can work on, which is what you wrote about. And so for people who haven't seen it yet, you know, if you could, just run through some of the highlights of what you think are the biggest things um, as somebody who's watched him in the Knicks all season that he needs to work on, um, you know, this summer heading into year two. Yeah, sure. Um, so the, the first, and this is the one I think is, the, the most easily improvable and the one that is most likely to improve is just his outside shooting. Um, you know, we've, we've seen him hit shots out to, you know, 27, 28 feet. Um, he, he obviously has a very smooth, compact stroke. And just with reps, I think he'll become, you know, a at least a mid to high 30s uh, percentage-wise three-point shooter. Um, our friend Chris Herring wrote an article earlier this season talking about the improvement of you know players that came to the NBA directly from Europe and, and then attempted at least a thousand threes in their career. Uh, those players saw their percentage rise from their rookie year to the rest of their careers by eight uh, percent. If he does that, he'll be around a forty or forty-one percent three-point shooter, which is just incredible for a guy that big. Um, but you know, right now he's in the low 30s, so that's something that, that does need to improve as he gets older. Um, but also the thing I think is most likely uh, to improve, and I think that that's you know, a widely held opinion as well. Um, you know, the, the next thing was his interior offense. Um, you know, this is the thing that he singled out the most as well, was that he wants to be able to be a really good post-up player. Um, and I know Knicks fans you know, don't, want to hear about him posting up because they want him to be, you know, a game-changing player that shoots a lot of threes. Um, those, those are not mutually exclusive, obviously. Um, he, he is going to be a center. He is going to get the ball on the post. And the idea is that when he gets it there, that he's a really good player that, you know, necessitates a double team. So he needs to be able to get a move that isn't a turnaround jumper, which is, you know, most of his post-up game right now. Um, he has not finished well inside at all this season. Um, you know, 3.1% worse than the league average in the restricted area uh, for someone who is seven foot three is not necessarily what you want to see. Uh, he's only made 44% of his layups on the year, which is crazy. 
Um, obviously, those are things that as he gets older, as he gets stronger. Yeah, I was going to say strength. Strength, strength on those things is both going to be huge. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, those are things I think that we'll, we'll most likely get better at as well. But those are things that he needs to work on, uh, obviously. And he's he's said that he's going to talk to Carmelo and try to get some moves from him. He suggested to, I believe, the Daily News that he was going to talk to a, a retired NBA player about post moves. Didn't specify who, but that sure sounds like going <laughs> sounds to like the latest guy to go get a hundred grand from Hakeem for the summer to go work <coughs> for a week or two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. So you know the, the the deep shooting and then the interior offense, both you know with his shooting and then also turnovers have been a problem uh, on his post ups as well, especially when he puts the ball on the floor and doesn't really see a guard coming to dig down into his post-up to swipe the ball away from him. So just being more aware when he gets the ball uh, in those positions as well. And, you know, if he becomes a good scorer there, they'll have to bring double teams. At that point, he needs to be a good passer there as well. Um, And the the two things I zeroed in on defensively, you know, because he's already such a good rim protector, uh, the the two things were being able to guard uh, guards and wings on switches, which is something that I think he's actually much more advanced at at this point than he has any right to be. You know, he's guarded LeBron on switches multiple times this year. He's better at switching out on guards and wings than he is at guarding perimeter-oriented big men. Uh, Guys like Draymond Green and Kevin Love gave him a lot of trouble. Um, And so that was the last thing that I concentrated on was being able to do that that sort of dance that is most often done by guards and wings where, you know, you dart into the paint to help on, you know, whether it's a pick and roll or whatever it is, and then recover back out to your man on the perimeter to, to challenge a jumper and to contain a drive. That's, I think, probably the weakest part of his game defensively right now is when he, uh, basically when he guards a player like himself on offense um, is, is something that he needs to get used to because uh, he didn't have to do it all that much when he was in Europe. Um, and, and now the the different kinds of offenses uh, that, that teams have with a lot more stretch fours um, is something that he'll he'll have to guard those kind of players, especially uh, if Robin Lopez sticks around. Yeah, and that, that is kind of the interesting thing, right? Because, I mean, I, I've been saying all year, and I think you agree with me, that, that his long-term destination is as a center. Um, and as he gets bigger and stronger, he can play the five. He becomes more of a matchup problem at the five. He's he's obviously going to shot blocker to play the five. Um, you know, so all, all that stuff factors together. But but you're right, uh, Robin Lopez probably at least for another year is going to be the starting center and probably isn't going anywhere. So uh, assuming that you know that's barring the Knicks making you know wholesale changes at the top of the organization, then who knows what would happen? But assuming right. Phil is back, you you think he's back playing power forward again and. I thought you made a good observation when you saw you. I think you tweeted that before you even wrote it, and I, I agreed with you at the time because you're right. When he gets when he gets matched up on a smaller guy, it's almost like he knows that if that guy gets a step on him, he could still block the guy's shot. You know, it's like he's almost got he almost knows that he can, he's got almost an extra step even if the guy starts to get by him. But for whatever reason, he just does look uncomfortable when he is up against those other those other stretch fours and and those bigger guys and. And it, it was kind of an interesting thing to see. Um, but I want to transition a bit, though. I talked about it a little bit earlier. You know, 
obviously to me the the first question with this team is clearly who the coach is going to be um and that's a whole you know that that comes down to what phil jackson is going to do i don't want to get bogged down in, in a phil jackson discussion because that's been talked about enough but the, the second question is what what happens to Carmelo anthony and and what is this guy's future um you know he's got three years left on this contract that starting this summer really isn't going to look very bad no matter how he plays given how much money he's going to be flying around um he's coming off a great year he's had you know probably his best year in terms of being a playmaker of his career he's averaging over four assists for the first time um seems to have kind of expanded his game a bit but at the same time he's missed the playoffs three years in a row he's 32 the Knicks are not going to be a contender next season unless Kevin Durant signs with the Knicks and the chances of that happening are minuscule I would say so what do you think happens with Carmelo this summer, and and what do you think the chances are that the Knicks and him come to a, a an agreement that it's the right time for him to leave? It's it's really tough. Um, I think that he's still going to be in New York next season, uh, at least uh, for the start of the year. I think that if they get off to um, another bad start, then maybe around the deadline he might say like, "Hey, maybe it might be time uh, to, to look at trading me." But you know, he's he's said too many times publicly, not publicly through back channels, whatever. Too many times that he wants to play in New York, he wants to win in New York. He, you know, I I know that he loves KP and KP uh, very much wants. Carmelo to stay as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, so rude. And, of you. And, I, and I think that he, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really do think that he wants, if at all possible, to make it work with the Knicks. Um, and I don't think that they will. I mean, Phil has even said multiple times, you know, he doesn't really want to trade Carmelo. He's called him one of the two really untouchable guys. You know, granted, he couched it in the fact that Carmelo. Well, I was there for that. No I, I was there for that, and and Phil, what Phil said was, <laughs> Phil Phil didn't make Carmelo untouchable at all. What Phil said was, well, Carmelo has a no trade clause. That was what he said. He, he didn't say he didn't say he wouldn't trade Carmelo. He didn't say Carmelo should stay. He just said, well, Carmelo's got a no trade clause. And that, that was it. He basically said, "There's one guy on the team I'm not trading, and that's Kristaps Porzingis." Which, and, and that's the reason. Yeah, and the no trade clause uh, is the reason that I think that he'll still be in New York. Now let me now let me throw you now let me throw you this hypothetical. Okay, let's say it's sure. Ju- let's say it's July 10th. Okay, um, or I guess if the moratorium ends, yeah, let's say it's July. Let's say it's July 10th. The moratorium, I think, is ending on the 7th, the midnight of the 6th, or whatever. So it's a three or four days after the moratorium ends. Free agency's in full swing. Let's say the Knicks have signed nobody impressive for the second straight summer. I mean, look, last summer the best guy they signed was Robin Lopez. Bare, you know, average starting center, maybe slightly above average starting center. Not a not a By tremendous the way, player. Good signing. Has, has no, very out. good. Very good signing. That signing has worked out beautifully. Very good but signing. Again, not someone that changes. The he's not mo- of he's, your franchise. He's not moving the needle, and it's not a guy that Carmelo Anthony's going. Yeah, we got Robin Lopez today. He's like, all right, that's fine. You know. So, let's say it's 
let's say it's July 10th, and let's say the Knicks have done nothing of significance in free agency. Does that is there a scenario where Carmelo says enough of this? No one wants to play here. Phil Jackson's a crazy person. Like I, I just this isn't going to work, and I need to get out of here. Like whatever his reasoning, can you can you see a scenario where they get into July, money's flying around, the Knicks aren't signing anybody, and he's like, this isn't for me. Like something's got to change. I, I'm sure that that scenario exists. Um, you know, is it the most likely scenario? I'm not sure. Because um, the way I, I look think at especially it, especially if he sees other stars get moving get moving around the league and teaming up and nobody coming to join him then maybe that m- might motivate it um you know especially if if Cleveland makes a move to get one of his buddies like if they they make <coughs> one of those you know super friend moves and they go get Chris Paul then he'll be like yeah get me there too well that and that's the thing that I wonder about it's like to me the, the the domino in this scenario that I think is going to determine Carmelo's summer is Cleveland because I think it's very likely, barring catastrophic injuries, basically to, if LeBron doesn't get hurt, Cleveland's going to the finals. And if Cleveland goes to the finals and loses again, I, I don't know what is going to happen in Cleveland, but I, I, I can't imagine from being around that team a little bit and seeing how the, the things are there, I just can't imagine that if if they get to the finals and lose, that Kyrie, Kevin Love, and LeBron are all on that team again. And LeBron obviously isn't going to leave. So well, we're we're basically in the same spot with that team as we were with year two of the Heat, where everybody said, right, you know, they didn't this win this time of year. If they don't win, oh, they're going to trade Chris Bosh this summer. Just yeah, watch. right. And and I think that it's. I mean, I could see both of those guys getting traded. I mean, look. It 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 you don't have to do very much connecting of the dots to get Carmelo Anthony and Chris Paul to Cleveland. You get Kevin Love in a trade with the Knicks, either just to the Knicks or the Knicks trade him to somebody else and get a bunch of assets, like maybe that three team Celtics trade that I think Frank Isola refers reported back in February. I mean if that gets kicked up again, the Knicks if the Knicks could get the next two Brooklyn picks and something else, uh, and they and they get they have a billion picks then and Chris Tapps and they can just start building around him. That's a trade they should do, and the the Celtics get Kevin Love, and the Cavs get Carmelo, and LeBron gets Carmelo and Chris Paul. The trade makes them way older. It probably shortens their window by five years or more, but it makes LeBron happy, and it probably makes them better next season, which is all they're. I could see that being all that they care about because that organization is clearly about winning today, and. To me, the way I look at this is there's going to be so many teams this summer with so much money to spend. Like Washington, right? Perfect example. Carmelo, Baltimore guy. Let's say Washington inevitably strikes out on Kevin Durant. Mm -hmm. I could see a scenario where the Wizards go, hey, you know, we need a star. Carmelo's from Baltimore. Let's offer the Knicks, I don't know, Otto Porter and... Markeith Morris and a first-round pick for Carmelo. I mean, if I'm the Knicks, I think I would do that trade, given the situation they're in. And then it, I, I, would Carmelo waive his no-trade cost to go to, to Washington? I don't know. Maybe. But that's just one example. But I, I just think there's going to be teams with all the money that's floating around 
that are going to be throwing st- offers around at, at guys like Carmelo and these guys that are under, are under contract, whether it's Jimmy Butler or whoever. These these star these star name players that are under contract with the way the salary cap is going up. I just think that money's going to be flying. These offers are going to be going around to try to trade for guys instead of signing, you know, some mid tier free agent for twice as much money as people think he's worth. And I, I don't know. I just the more this season has gone on, and the more Carmelo has said things like, "I'm looking forward to playing with Team USA to to remember what winning feels like," and just the the general dysfunction around the Knicks the last couple months. It. it it just makes me feel like at the end of the day, this is going to end with him playing somewhere else, whether it's Cleveland or, or another team in the league. Yeah, there was a point maybe like a month ago where I was convinced that he was going to be on another team next year. Um, but but then so many things that, that both him and Porzingis have said over the last month or so about how much they want to, for Carmelo, how much he wants to stay in New York, make it work in New York, things like that. And then Porzingis saying like, I don't want Melo to leave. I need him. Um, I, I think that that, you know, if it, if it isn't a big factor, I think that's a mistake. Um, you know, if, if he really wants Carmelo to be here to, to continue learning from him, because I think you saw on the court this year, how much he benefited from Melo's presence. Um, and, and then just having someone like that, uh, as a mentor as well, I think is, has done a lot for him so far. Um, and you know it's it's not like you know if if you keep him around <clears throat> for the start of next season, that means you can never trade him. You know there's still two and a half more years right. of the contract left. Um, you might as well see what can work, um, un- unless he comes and straight up asks to be traded. Right. Yeah. And, and you're and, I, and yeah. I mean, it could go. I think <coughs> it could go any any way. The only pushback I would I would give on on what you just said. Um, I I agree one million percent that having Carmelo on the team this year was the best thing that could ever happen to Porzingis. Like perfect example, when the Knicks fired Derek Fisher, no Knicks talked to the to the media the day he got fired. The next day it was an off day. The next day right. they have a game. There's a million media people there. The only person that talks for the game is Carmelo, and Carmelo is great with the media. He's He's probably, I think, maybe the best of the superstar players in the league in terms of his day-to-day interaction with the media, given the demands on him and, um, you know, the, the the amount of people around him all the time. He he, I think, handles it like a pro. He's terrific. Like he takes forever to come out of the shower and the treatment. And right. He wears ridiculous hats. Right. But he will stand there and answer questions for as long as eternity. they're being asked. As long as and, they're being asked. And and he. Even after PR breaks it up, sometimes he will hang back and answer more because yeah. he'll he'll just stay there. He's like I have zero possible complaints about him in that department. No, he is fantastic, and I'll tell you what uh, you talk about PR breaking it up. That day when he talked about Derek Fisher, he he talked for about three minutes, and then the PR guys start trying to literally drag him out of the room. Like, all right, we got to stop, we got to stop, and he still answered four or five questions. While they had a ar- their hands on his arm, he just stood right. there and just kept. And he would have stood there for another ten minutes. He answered questions on his way back into the locker room. Yeah, it was it was amazing. You know, it was just he really doesn't because he plays for the <clears throat> Knicks, who do everything they can to kind of give the media a hard time, and because the Knicks are such a disaster, he I don't think gets nearly enough credit for the way he handles himself. But but w- the, what I was going to say it, with regard to that. 
Porzingis didn't have to say anything. And if he if Carmelo had not been on the team or if Carmelo had been traded, he would have been the one that would have had to stand there as a rookie and yep. answer all these questions. And having a guy like Carmelo for teams to be doubling in games, for teams to be game planning around, for teams for to just for him to see how to be a pro every day. Because, look, you can say a lot of things about Carmelo and his game and different different things you can criticize him for. But the guy's a pro, and he, he you aren't as good as he's been for as long as he's been if you don't know how to show up every day and prepare. And to see, for somebody like Chris Porzingis as a, at a young age, to see how you handle being a star in New York, how you handle the demands of the media, the demands of doing different advertising stuff and promotional stuff, and and still being able to produce on the court, I think means a lot. The only the only pushback I would give on what you said is I don't know if I would I would put any stock in what Porzingis says in terms of decision making for the team going forward. Because while I don't think it would hurt, obviously, if Carmelo and him were on the team again next year, I don't think that if the Knicks get a good offer for Carmelo, they shouldn't trade him because Porzingis wants him to be on the team with him. If that makes oh, sense. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would agree with that as well. And that's the only, that's the only pushback on what you said because I, but it's, I it's think... not necessarily something like you have to approach the summer as we have to trade Carmelo. Right. I would, you know, it certainly shouldn't be. We need to let Chris Stapps take over the team, so we have to dump Carmelo. I just right. think, I just think from a from an asset standpoint, Carmelo's never going to have more value than he does now. He's never going to have a better chance to still be an impact player on a winning team than he does now. And the Knicks just aren't going to be that good next year. I mean, if you look at the Eastern Conference, if if unless Durant signs with the Knicks, even if Mike Conley signs with the Knicks, or yeah. even, if, even if Al Horford signs with the Knicks, it's just hard for me to see how this team is going to be good enough to make the playoffs when you look at the teams in front of them, even the teams around them. Like, Milwaukee could be better next year. Orlando could be better next year. Um, you know, Washington and Chicago both should be better next year. And those teams are all going to probably finish ahead of the Knicks. And then there's eight teams in the playoffs that theoretically all could either be better or the same. So it, to me, just the timelines don't match up, um, which, is why I, which is why I think he has to do it. But I, I, I want to I swing around to one more Knicks thing before I let you go. Um, so we're already, it's already late enough for you. Um, we were talking the other day about some some stuff to because uh, I was doing my post mortem on the Knicks and I asked you for a fifth a fifth thing mm. to focus on because I was struggling to come up with one and you immediately said defense backcourt defense just general defense, um, which I laughed about and was you were obviously right because the defense has been just terrible particularly in the backcourt. But I mean we're t- we've talked a lot about free agency and we've kind of talked around it. The Knicks don't have any picks in this year's draft. They'll probably end up buying a second round pick or two, but. You can't really count on those guys um, to, to do much. And maybe Willie Hernan Gomez, who they drafted last year, comes over as a backup center. But uh, they're not really going to address any needs in the draft. So they go into free agency. Aflalo, Aaron Aflalo, like we mentioned, is almost definitely going to opt out. Derek Williams may or may not opt out. I'm sure they're going to stretch Jose Calderon's contract. So let's say that even if even if Williams doesn't opt out, they're going to have around $30 million in cap room probably, assuming Aflalo opts out. So... If if you were if you became Phil Jackson, what would you do with that money in terms of what do you think the the target areas for the Knicks need to be this summer to try to get this roster as improved as much as possible? 
I would spend it all on backcourt players. Like point guard, shooting guard, swingman, two, three types. Um, and I would also, I wouldn't necessarily only use it for free agents. Um, you know, when you have that much cap space, you can extort teams that are looking to dump contracts uh, for draft picks. You can make lopsided trades. You can do all kinds of different things if you have that much cap space. Uh, they, they shouldn't, just like in their coaching search, they shouldn't limit themselves to one particular thing. They should not limit themselves to, to one particular thing in free agency either. Um, there's a lot of different possibilities they can chase after. Um, I, I would target guys... Um, you know, in certain age groups, um, <clears throat> you know, in their low to mid twenties, so that by the time Porzingis is really ready to become the guy who's going to lead the team, that there's still guys who are you know at or near their prime. Um, you know, signing guys who are thirty plus years old to long term contracts doesn't really make sense. Uh, if you want to get stop gaps, you know, for a year or two, then it's fine to sign older players, but I would really try to try to concentrate on getting young athletic backcourt and wing players that can shoot and, or defend, you know, just defend. Like if they sign anybody that isn't good on defense, it's a mistake because it's been their biggest problem this year. It was their biggest problem last year. It's been their biggest problem for the last 15 years. They've, (laughs) they've had, I think a top 10 defense twice. Uh, since Jeff Van Gundy left, um, that's a long time ago. And the one time was kind of a fluke. I mean, I mean, that fifty-four win season was just no, that. That was not a. That wasn't a top, a top ten, 10 defense. defense? No, I thought it the, was. The most recent one was actually the lockout season, which was the Jeremy oh, Lin season. That's right. Yes, that's right. Um, I was and, thinking and that, that was even was. more of a fluke because yes. they they were playing uh, for most of the year. Uh, Carmelo Amari and Tyson. Well, that whole season uh, on was the a front fluke. line. I mean, that that whole season. I mean, basically anything that happened that season, you should just throw out because I mean, it was just uh, that it was, was madness. My, it was total madness. I mean, not nothing that happened that season made any sense. No. The the problem, and I agree with you. That's what the need the Knicks need to do. The problem for the Knicks is that that's what literally every team in the NBA is going to be trying to do. Yes, um, it's it's funny. You know, for years people were saying, "Oh, we need to get rid of centers on the." the All-NBA ballot and on the All-Star ballot and centers don't matter. Uh, the funny thing about the NBA now is that there's more centers than teams know what to do with, and there's there's not enough wing players. Like, because, because of the way the NBA has shifted, there's become such a need for these versatile guys. They are, you know, 6'4", 5 to 6'8", that can play that 2, 3, 4 spot. Um, interchangeably, and it, it's just kind of amazing to see how many of these teams can't find competent wing players. Um, like Oklahoma City is a great example. How I was many, about to say, how look many at years, the right? How many years have Oklahoma City been trying to find a competent two-way wing? I mean, it's been ever since they traded James Harden, at least, and they haven't come close to finding one. It, Think it, about the fact that that Dion Waiters is the best one they've had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that sums it up, right? I mean that that sums it up. And and the fact that I mean look, Deion Waiters is probably going to get some money this summer. 
Like, I don't know how much he's going to get, but somebody is probably going to pay him close to $10 million a year, which is crazy. But that's there's just no – you have to find these guys. There's just well, not enough of them anywhere. Who's going to give Waiters money? I think the only people left on Waiters Island work for the ringer now. It's just Bill Simmons, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, well, the Thunder are on Waiters Island, I think. But I, <laughs> I, I uh, look, I think somebody is going to give him – if it's not the Thunder – Somebody else is going to offer him, I think, ten million dollars a year. That's my prediction. Oh my god! Because I it just, I, I think teams are going to go. Well, he's twenty four, and there's no good wings, so we might as well sign him. He was twenty four, and someone was dumb enough to pick him fourth in the draft. So let's right. hope we can tap into that. I mean, it's, but it, you know, it's all. I could see teams going. What would I rather do? Would I rather give? Uh, Deion Waiters a three-year contract for thirty million, or a four-year contract for forty million, or would I rather give that contract to Aaron Aflalo? And I could see teams going, "Nah, I'd rather take a chance on Deion Waiters." I don't think it makes any sense, but I think it also kind of un- underlines and emphasizes the <laughs> lack of decent wing players. I mean, it, it really is. It really is kind of amazing. See, I don't, I don't know if it's so much that guys. they're. I don't know if it's so much that there aren't any good wing players anymore as there are now more active wing positions in the league. That's what I mean. I mean, I don't mean there's any good wing. I just mean there's not nearly enough. The supply is far short of the demand is what I mean. The demand has just gotten so much higher that even if there are a similar number of wings, there aren't enough anymore because teams play so many of them now. Like, you know who's going to get paid a lot of money this summer? Brandon Rush. Brandon Rush is going to get, like, I bet, over $5 million. Is he a free agent? He's a free agent. Oh, wow. So, like, you know, and he's had a bunch of injuries, and, you know, he hasn't really been able to stay on the court, but he's been great this year, and I bet he gets a good good chunk of money this summer because he can play a little defense and he can shoot some threes. And if if you can do a little bit of both, you're going to get paid. Like, what's Langston Galloway going to get as a contract? Langston Galloway is going to get a bump in his contract because he started off the year shooting like 65% from three. Right. And then he he came back down to earth. But still, I mean, he's a guy who's a decent defender. Yeah, he's a nice player. He's a perfectly acceptable fourth guard. Right. And, I mean, he's probably going to get $8 million a year, I would think. He might get more than that. I mean, he's, he's shooting... 35%. 35%. He's a career 35% three-point shooter, and he's a decent defender. And he defender. shot very well from three in college as well, I think. Yeah. I mean, he shot 35% last year. He shot 35% this year, and he's a decent defender. That guy's getting six, seven, eight million million a year. Might He might get more because there's not enough guys like that. I mean, if you... It, it was always you always wanted... Like, that was the, always the joke, right? That, oh, if you're seven feet tall, you're just going to... You're going to... You got to whatever one in 10 chance of being a millionaire but the 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 fact of the matter is now in the nba it's you're almost more valuable if you're six seven and can shoot a little bit because that's what everybody that's what everybody is looking for and it's it's really wild how that has shifted i mean and you're right that's exactly when you look at the knicks like to me the knicks should go offer harrison barnes a max and they should offer bradley beal a max like maybe those guys will stay with their teams but I would do what I would offer them to Max. Try to get one of those guys. Try to get some really another really good wing player, because um, there's just such a dearth of them that 
you might as well swing for the fences and try to get the best one you can get. You know, they probably should offer Jordan Clarkson a bunch of money. Um, I, I mean, I, I have my issues with Jordan Clarkson, but there's only so much you can offer him. And the fact of the matter is he's like a 23- or 4-year-old guy who can score and is a decent wing player. And, they should try to steal D'Angelo Russell because the Lakers should well, trade him. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Might... No, the, the Lakers should not trade him. They should just build around him. The kid did a dumb thing, but... That is and that. I'll that's just, something I want I'll to talk just, about briefly too. Sure. Uh, just to just to say that we'll, we'll end with this. What are your thoughts you can, on that? You can think that D'Angelo Russell did a dumb thing, and also think that Nick Young should have che- shouldn't have cheated on his fiance. Like th- there's these this opinion on the internet that if you say anything that D'Ang- if you say that D'Angelo Russell did something wrong, then that means that you know you're pro Nick Young. Um, no, I'm not pro Nick Young. Like. Dude should not have cheated on his fiance, but D'Angelo Russell also should not have videotaped him talking about it. Can I can I say something? Yeah, this is the dumbest story of the last five years. Oh, it's it's, it's, it's the dumbest. Dumb it's story. the dumbest story. I purposely, I mean, I wrote a column last week about the Lakers and barely mentioned this, and just wrote about how the Lakers are a complete disaster, and this is just the latest example of why they are a total circus. And it is. I mean, look. If this story involves anyone else but D'Angelo Russell and anyone else but Nick Young and any other team in the league, basically, except for, say, the Knicks, this story is not even a story. But it's the perfect storm of tabloid nonsense. Um, as someone who worked at a tabloid, at the, the, the tabloid for several years, I know about tabloid nonsense. And, I mean, look. This this is nonsense. Anybody saying that the Lakers need to trade trade D'Angelo Russell or that no one is going to – people are going to think twice about the Lakers because D'Angelo Russell is a snitch, this is nonsense. Let's remember, Kobe Bryant in a deposition with police said, I should just pay the girls off like Shaq does. <laughs> Let's just think about that statement for a second, okay? Does anybody – did anybody remember that statement before this past week? No. If you had said to regular people, hey, do you think Kobe said this about Shaq a week ago? People would have said, no, no way. He would have never said that. And then they would be reminded. It sort of speaks to how uh, that entire incident with Kobe has sort of been brushed on the the road over the years. That is a whole other fascinating story that that, that would take way longer than we have to get into. But uh, and I agree with you. But my my general thought on this whole thing is that, especially the way our culture is now, no one is going to remember this in six months. No, so, somebody else will do something dumb, and uh, it, it'll, and it just doesn't matter. I mean, look, people don't remember everything Jaleel Okafor did five months ago. Yeah, like if you'd have to remind people that he was speeding or going one hundred miles an hour on the Ben Franklin Bridge and got in a fight and all that other. Like nobody remembers that stuff. So for people to be acting like, oh, D'Angelo Russell has just such a long climb back to back to respectability, he's got to earn. Just none of this matters. Nick Young is a, is a bad player at this point. If the Lakers cut him tomorrow, that nothing will happen to them. I mean, what you said is a thousand percent right. You know, th- this whole season has been such a disaster for them because. You know, like with the Knicks, right? What did they need to do this season? They needed to find out what do we have in Jordan Clarkson? What do we have in Julius Randle? What do we have in D'Angelo Russell? That was the only thing that mattered. 
Instead, it turned into we have to bow down to the worst player in the league, Kobe Bryant, and we have to play him at the expense of these guys. And at the expense of these guys, we have to like not let them develop. We can't really give them playing time. Byron Scott is going to bench D'Angelo Russell for long stretches of time. Um, you know, it, they're just they're just such a mess. I mean, and look, despite all that, by the end of the year, Russell turned out just fine. He looks great. I wouldn't say he turned out just fine, though. I mean, yeah, he's no, had a, no. he's I mean, played look, well Byron lately. Scott's a disaster. Well, look, he's played but... well lately, and and I think he's going to be really good. But you you have to think you have to wonder how much better his season would have been if he'd been given the same kind of environment that say Carl Towns and Chris Porzingis have gotten. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, Byron Scott jerked him around like you know pretty much for no reason. Called him out in the media a hundred times. Um, tonight Byron Scott apparently asked the players at halftime if any of them have has ever been in a fist fight I mean, and Byron... he has and he has Ron Artest on his team right. who got in a fist fight on TV well, like... and, and who what right and I mean yeah I mean right Ron Artest has been in a, has seen people die in fights I believe going back to his childhood like I yeah I mean the Byron Scott thing is a catastrophe I mean look this was my point in that article it, just to, to put, wrap this up in a bow what reason is there right now to believe that the Los Angeles Lakers are any different than the New York Knicks? They're the Lakers. But that's that's it. That's it. That's right? it. Yeah. They're they're run by they they have a similar ownership situation now, similar level of dysfunction, no direction. I mean, they've struck out the last years of free agency. Like I led the column with, the LaMarcus Aldridge free agency was such a disaster that he uh, their their pitch to him that he gave them a second chance out of pity, which was just unbelievable on so many levels. And look, you could people made fun of the Knicks for not signing him. I thought the Knicks were fine. The Knicks said to him, "We want you to play center." He said, "I'm not going to play center." They said, "Okay, fine." His best position would have been as a center for them. So, you know, you can say, like, I, I, would, I would rather have a team go to, go to him and say, this is our plan for you. And if he says, well, I don't want to do it, okay, that's fine. That's a, better, that's a better plan than, hey, here's this presentation that's such a mess that I have to give you another one because I didn't understand it. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they're in the conversation with the Knicks in the first place, I think is sort of the point here. Right, that says uh, it all, right? right. That's, that who says would, it all. Who would have ever thought the Lakers would be in that position? Right. And I, I am fascinated to see what happens to them this summer because now the excuses are gone, right? Like, if they don't sign anybody this summer, the excuse isn't, well, Kobe's here and no one wants to play with Kobe. I mean, or we didn't have enough money to sign anybody because we had Kobe on the team. I mean... That contract it gave him was insane, but it also gave him an excuse for two years. Now they have no excuses. So if they go into free agency and they strike out on Durant and Al Horford and all these guys, and they end up with the same kind of grab bag of guys like Lou Williams and Roy Hibbert and Brandon Bass that they got last summer, then the whole, well, they're the Lakers thing is going to have to kind of get thrown out the window. Well, I think at, at that point, you know, they're not close to winning and, you know, Guys want money and guys want to be in good cities, but they want to win too. Um, you know, guys aren't just going to sign with the Lakers 
because they're the Lakers. You know, guys have done that before because the Lakers gave them the best chance to win. That's not true right now. Uh, might not be true for a couple of years. Um, and I think at that point will be the time when the fact that they're the Lakers really starts to matter again. Yeah, totally. I mean, look, you saw this summer, right? Marcus <coughs> Aldridge went to the Spurs, and Greg Monroe went to the Bucks. Now, you can say Greg Monroe is not that great a player, whatever you want to say. The fact of the matter is a guy that was wanted by the Knicks and the Lakers chose to go to Milwaukee. There's a ton of money around the league now. Guys want to win games. They, you, you look at what's going on in Oklahoma City, you don't have to be in a huge market to get marketed anymore and make a lot of money in endorsements. You just have to be good and on a winning team. So that's what guys are looking for now. And it, that, that's what matters. So teams like the Lakers, who always just count on guys wanting to get traded to L.A., if the Lakers are a complete disaster, why are you going to want to get traded to L.A.? So, I don't know. That whole situation is a mess. Jared, I've kept you long enough. Thank you for uh, thank you for doing this. Um, before you go, uh, you you have plenty of things that are worth plugging. So, uh, give people uh, how they can find you on Twitter and besides the Porzingis thing, which people should read. Give them some stuff they should read and uh, and look for with the uh, the HP Network. Sure, um, I'm on Twitter at at jadubin5. Um, you can find all of the uh, the hardwood paroxysm basketball network stuff hardwoodparoxysm.com. Uh, or by following at HPB Network uh, on Twitter. That's where all that stuff is. Uh, my stuff um, at this point, I'm at a lot of different places. Uh, CBS, Vice Sports, Bleacher Report, uh, occasionally Sports Illustrated as well. Um, I have my podcast with Seth Partnow, who you've had as a guest as well, which you can find on iTunes um, through the Hardwood Paroxysm Network also. Um, I, I got some stuff going up this week. Uh, at a certain certain points as well the following week and then i'm going to have something hopefully that i've been working on throughout the season um go up hopefully before the playoffs if i actually am able to finish it uh, but there will be some stuff out there i'll be around uh, as i usually am is that the story we've talked about yes nice that'll be fun i there's some great stuff for that one i've been talking to jared about that for months so you should definitely check that out when it comes out um, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can go to my Facebook page at Tim Bontemps NBA. You can find my work at the Washington Post and on our website. Um, the music for the podcast is by Glenn Yoder in the Western States. Uh, thank you to them for that. Um, thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, you, if you could please give the uh, podcast a five star rating and review on iTunes, that'd be great. Um, gonna be, we've been a little lax in the podcast lately going to be ramping up a lot over the next couple weeks heading into the playoffs going to do a huge playoff preview next week and then uh throughout the playoffs we'll be doing a lot of podcasts um as things get going and we finally get started with the postseason um but until then uh, i'll be back again soon jared thanks again for the time and we'll talk to you all later no problem man thanks for having me